Hello, this is Bixby. Welcome to the Bixby Developers Chat Podcast. Here is your host, Roger Kibbe. Hello, Bixby Developer Chat listeners. Today, I have the honor of talking with Kane Sims and Dustin Coates. You likely know Kane and Dustin from their podcast, UX World, which I highly recommend. Wait a second, wrong introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Kane Sims and Dustin Coates. <laughs> Welcome, guys. Uh, Kane, please introduce yourself. That was good. That was very good. I noticed that at Project Voice, when I think it was the keynote I gave, and I said, hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And I think you might have been the only one laughing, because I think you were the only one that actually got the joke. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but no, cheers. It's a, it's a pleasure. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Kane Sims, along with Dustin Coates. I'm one of the co-founders of VWX World. And for the last two and a half years, we've been running the podcast, first of all, speaking to people from all over the industry, all over the world, practitioners that work with conversational AI day in, day out, the ones that are pushing the boundaries of this kind of stuff. Yourself included, Roger, you've been on there. Uh, in fact, I think that you won't be able to see this for the listeners, but I've got a picture behind me of a couple of headshots from the first year of the podcast. I'm pretty sure that you're on there, Roger. So uh, there's- Yeah, I think there's... Bob, me and Bob Stolzberg are on there maybe a year and a half ago, if I remember. Yeah. Something around there. That's right. And we were talking about Bixby at the time as well, actually. Yes. So, yeah. So, there you go. So, yeah, uh, we've been doing VWX World for a while. That, that led us from the podcast into doing speaking workshops. And then that led into consultancy. That led into design development. And now we have a conversational AI consultancy. And we work with brands, agencies all across the world, helping people get the most out of, out of this kind of technology. And so, pleasure to be here, Roger. And thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, thanks, Kane. And Dustin, please introduce yourself. Yeah, so Kane gave a bit of an introduction. Uh, I work uh, with him on VUX World. It's been, yeah, about two and a half, coming up on three years now. I remember the first one was, I think, February, a few years back. Uh, I just happened to be in Los Angeles. So I tucked away my microphone and my suitcase and <laughs> like prepped the hotel room and everything. And it's been just an adventure since then. I'm an American in Paris, uh, so Kane and I are both in Europe, but you know, we chat with people from worldwide and we've both been in voice and conversational and, and natural language understanding for quite a while. And I think we've seen a lot and we're hopeful for what we're gonna see next. Awesome. And uh, Dustin, do you work with Kane on the consultancy side or what, what else do you do besides being an amazing co-host on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Kane brings a lot of skills. I bring a lot of skills. We complement, we overlap a little bit. My focus is more on the technical side. Kane has a lot of design and strategy side as well. So we combine those to, to help people with their voice and conversational needs. And I think you've been an author of a book, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yes. So I'm going to ask you about that. So, hey, both of you guys have been in voice for quite a while. You're kind of so-called old timers in voice at this point, <laughs> which a couple of years in voice makes you an old timer. But I'd love to hear how you did you get started in voice? What was your first experience with voice and how did you get excited and started the voice technology? Go on, Dustin. What's your journey? So a bit of a winding story. I moved to a new apartment. We were in a bit of a food desert. So I signed up for Amazon Prime so I could get the Prime Fresh grocery delivery. I got an email about this new smart speaker thing that they were launching, uh, the Amazon Echo, of course. Went ahead and ordered one. Just really enjoyed it. Thought it changed how I interacted with computing overall and started building things. So I 
within a few months had written a tutorial on how to build an Alexa skill. And for a while, if you Googled how to build an Alexa skill or Alexa skill tutorial, I think I was the number one or number two results. And so that was fun. I, I continued doing that and just really continued building, uh, building for voice, creating content, creating educational content, and then end up uh, syncing up with Kane not too long after that. And I think Kane can tell the, the other half of the beginning of that story. Yeah, the rest is history. As they say. <laughs> yeah, so I, I got a, how did I get into it? So my background, if you go back far enough, used to, I, I say I used to produce music, but the reality is I was a kid in my bedroom fiddling around with samples and making some tunes uh, and writing lyrics so i used to think used to fancy myself as a bit of a rapper you know what i mean so uh, and if you look at back at some of our podcast episodes if, if i beg and plead will you rap <laughs> I, think bit, I think i'm a bit rusty at the minute but uh, okay all right go ahead i did do one for frank schneider of speakeasy ai and so he's based out of philadelphia so when we introduced him on the podcast i did uh, a version of the fresh prince of bel-air theme tune oh. with frank schneider so there you go, you can check that one out. Um, but yeah, so I've kind of had a long relationship with audio and words, essentially. Putting audio together and then putting words into it and ended up realizing that making music is not easy to make money from and et cetera. So went throughout my career, ended up in marketing agencies, ended up in user experience design, consultancy, service design, and eventually managing digital service transformation teams. And then I had freelance writing on the side as well. So I'd always kept up the writing and stuff. And then all of a sudden I come across, I think it was an advert around the launch of Alexa in the UK. I'd, I'd fiddled around with Siri, but it was rubbish at the time. And so I hadn't really bothered with it. But I seen this advert for Alexa launching in the UK. And I was thinking, that seems crazy. That, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know you could build for it. I didn't know that you could create anything for it. I didn't have a clue about it. And I just thought to myself, when I see that, I thought, wouldn't it be good if you could create something for this thing? Imagine if you could actually design like an audio based conversation based experience that, that people could have with this thing and immediately i thought that sounds fantastic and, and then uh, a few months later i got a device etc started playing around with it and i thought to myself i think it'll be good to try and learn really how these things work what this technology is what hangs it all together how to build stuff for it and then similar to dustin really i started thinking about how we might be able to do that and i thought one of the best ways to learn about an audio first medium would be to create an audio first kind of piece of content and if i'm going to learn about it then i may as well share that with everyone else who might want to learn about it and so that was how vux world was the the podcast was born bought the domain domain name in 2017 couldn't find anybody to interview for any kind of podcast couldn't come across anyone at all dustin maybe i wasn't right using the the, the proper search phrases because i didn't quite, <laughs> quite come across didn't quite come across your content at that time and then eventually in november of 2017 I realized that the VoiceBot podcast was around and This Week in Voice podcast was around. And I was thinking, what the hell is going on here like that? I had this idea months ago. What's happening? And I thought, well, that's evidence, basically, that there's something there. There must be something there. And there must be people I can find to speak to. That was in the US. So I was convinced that it was going to come to Europe. And so that's what we started doing. Started kind of like researching, trying to get in touch with people, trying to meet people, stuff like that. Recorded a couple of uh, episodes over Christmas. The first episode might even still be on YouTube. It's, I've got my garland and that hanging on the, the fireplace behind me. And then I was just about to launch. I think I might, we might have even put one episode out. 
And immediately someone commented on Twitter and said, hey, you know, that was really good. But what would be really interesting would be if there was some kind of person around that had technical knowledge, someone that could, because for me, I'm a strategist and a designer. I've always been a designer. I've always been on the kind of like the creative end, the kind of strategic, figuring out what it is we should be doing and then managing the team that kind of goes ahead and does it or doing the design myself and stuff. And then um, I said, okay. Yeah, I think it was Jan Koenig. I think he said, are you going yeah. to get into any technical content? And he said, I'd love to. I don't really have the technical background myself. Exactly. That's right. That's exactly what it was, Jan. Yeah. And then you'd sent a tweet, Dustin. Yeah. Had you, you, I think you, you responded. I think it was, it was either a tweet or you direct messaged me or something like that. No, I think it was, on, I think it was a tweet. I, I very, very rarely on Twitter. So if you look at our different social medias, Kane's the social media, social butterfly. Me, <laughs> I can take it or leave it. But I just happened to be, there was a one day voice conference at Paris that day. And I just happened to be on Twitter, just following along. And, and I saw that and I think I replied and I was like, Hey, yeah, let's chat. I, I'd love to do it. Yeah. And I think literally within the space of, I, w- I reckon probably seven days later, we recorded an episode, probably yeah. episode four or five or something like that. And that was the beginning. That was it. We, we did it. We've done it ever since. And we've kind of, as I said, the first six months or so was doing the, the podcast. And then we got speaking engagements and hosting conferences and events, stuff like that. And then 2019 started getting involved in workshops, training, consultancy. We picked up kind of design and development projects and stuff like that. And then, yeah, it's been more of the same ever since. So it's, uh, it's crazy. So serendipity. Dustin was yeah. on Twitter, saw a Just tweet and replied in a, a super successful podcasting partnership came out of that. Yeah. And people don't awesome. realize it took us uh, two years, I think, two years, right, Kane, to actually meet in person. It wasn't yeah. until, until last summer. I happened to be giving a talk in London and, and Kane had it down. So there's VUX trivia for you. <laughs> How long did That's Kane it. and Dustin uh, podcast together two years. before I'll they actually what, just... met each other in person? Exactly. Well, not just podcasting, we've been working together, you know, it's like, it's crazy how, you know, how, I don't think we understand, people don't really, I think we take for granted the internet, basically, is what I'm trying to say. You don't realize the the power that the internet has, you know, imagine being able to create a company with someone who you've never actually met in real life and work together and, you know, build up that kind of relationship over two years without even actually meeting face to face, I think is, is absolutely unbelievable. That's crazy. It is amazing. And I think of this time during COVID is all of us are working remotely. I think more and more of that's going to happen, right? Where people are getting super comfortable working remotely or working with someone in a completely different area, completely different time zone, different country, and it all works great. So I, I see that a little bit. We kind of accelerated the future of work. With yeah. Kind of unfortunate events that, that happened to us. Yeah. Uh, so I believe you're over a hundred episodes in, you guys probably have the exact number. Can you tell me how the podcast, well, first of all, I want to know who was your very first guest and then how, or if you remember, <laughs> and then how has the podcast evolved over the last two and a half years? Good question. Good question. Let me try and find who our first guest was. I have a suspicion that our first guest was Jeff Smith Jr. That sound, sounds like a fake name. <laughs> Just <laughs> like, how can I come up with the most generic name ever? You could say <laughs> no, John No offense Doe. to Jeff Smith Jr. <laughs> John Doe it, was your first guest. <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough, he created um, a outbound, it was part of a company that worked on an outbound call assistant. Pretty sure it was called John Doe. 
pretty sure it was called that because essentially when what was it called again when duplex came out i had a conversation with him about you know i've been doing this for years like what's all the fuss about and i'm pretty sure it was called john doe was it john doe or john dunn i know what you're talking john about dunn. john, john dunn. dunn so wow yeah, john dunn. our jokes actually ended up being <laughs> yeah 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 so jeff smith jr uh, okay. he <laughs> he's a real person dustin this is before this is before you did the podcast so this is probably why you don't realize who he is <laughs> this is the first i'm pretty sure it was the first episode and uh, yeah he worked on john dunn and then he ended up going and working on their assistant is called amy and i think the company is called ip soft they're doing pretty well now they've got like a, an agent that essentially it's like a customer service agent you can stick it on your website there's an avatar does customer service queries and stuff like that so he was building the conversational ai there after john Doe, john dunn whatever it was called <laughs> and uh yeah i think the first episode was him and it was all about the episode was called what is conversational ai yeah and then dustin how do you think the podcast evolved over the, over the last two years yeah it's changed a lot we've tried a lot of different things i remember when we started off, we were just interviewing people and we looked at it and we go, okay, there's us, there's other um, lesser podcasts, but there's other podcasts in the, in the, <laughs> in the domain. <laughs> How are we different? And that's when we sat down and we go, okay, we really want to be the practical voice podcast. And so now every time we have a guest on, we say, this is, you can talk about your product, you can talk about your company a little bit, but this is the practical voice podcast. People need to come away with us with information that they can use. Mm-hmm. And so we've, changed our focus a little bit and made that the core focus and we tried things throughout the span as well we started doing video recently and i think that's worked out pretty well we've been live streaming we had one on youtube yesterday we found out that youtube engendered some good uh, comments perhaps so we're going to see how that goes we try things like the rundown which i think we, we always say we want to do more often but we, we always uh, fail to continue so we tried a lot of different things i think the main evolution though is, is really just that focus so it's a it was a evolution early on and then static throughout we've said this is who we are and we've i think we've hewed pretty closely to it mm. The other thing I think we've done is one of the things that we always try to do is one is to teach people the the things around the practicalities, as Justin said, how do you approach design? How do you approach development? How do you select the right technology provider? What challenges are you facing? How have you overcome them? How can we learn from other people's experiences? Like giving people something they can take away from every episode and go and do something about. But the other thing as well is we've always tried to first and foremost, do things that we find interesting. So we're not interested in speaking to anyone that we're not actually interested in having a conversation with, I think is the main. We, we treat it as a personal learning journey. And I think that it, the podcast is better for it. But also is that we, always, we want to be, and I think we are just naturally, we're always inquisitive people. And we're all, the conversations that we have, like personally or with clients, or whatever, it's always what's over the horizon, what's coming up, what's coming up. And so we, we like to think that we're in a position whereby we are the, the people who are bringing what's next to people and so if you look back in 2018 we were doing podcasts with man-made music and audio ux around sound design the importance of sound design it's only this year really that topic has started to really pick up and it's been a focus of a lot of webinars and stuff like that and what we've tried to do this summer is to help people understand that voice is is only part of the equation really what's going on here is that the nlu that sits behind this is really where the magic happens and so ultimately it doesn't really matter whether it's voice whether it's text whether it's a mixture of voice and tapping and swiping or whatever the case is it's that nlu that's, that's the magic ticket and so 
what we've tried to do over this summer in particular, as Dustin said, we've been starting, we've been doing the live broadcasts on LinkedIn, live broadcasts on YouTube. We've tried to educate people about where are things going and where things are going is that we're talking about conversational AI and not specifically voice necessarily. Voice is a huge part of it. It's where the massive opportunities are, but it's conversational AI. And so you look at the podcast we've done recently and we've been doing ones on SMS design. How do you design a conversation for SMS messengers? We've been doing things that take away from the voice assistance that we all know and love and talk about, but we've been looking at voice on the web, voice in apps, voice in IVR systems, and trying to understand all of the different permutations in different places that where this technology can be applied and try and extract the learnings from that to educate people, both on how you go about applying this stuff to those channels, but also this is kind of where things are heading and we want to make people aware of where the, to use the, an American phrase that people might relate to is to help people skate to where the puck is going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think you're spot on around it's natural language understanding, whether it be voice or text or anything is actually the revolution is computers understanding us communicating in the most natural way. And so that unlocks and voices, maybe the, the sexiest, most well-known part of that, but NLU really just unlocks amazing capabilities there. Hey, so question about the podcast or question for aspiring podcasters. You guys have over a hundred shows. You talked about how it evolved and how you're doing things a little bit differently and and expanding what you're doing. What about for aspiring podcasters? What advice would you give for someone who's sitting there right now listening to this thinking, hey, you know, I have this great idea. I'd like to start a podcast or I just want to start a podcast. What advice would you give him? Okay, what do you think? Well, you can only ever speak from where you are and what you've done. So this is purely only based on my kind of experience in doing VUX world. But one of the things that first and foremost, fundamentally was to do something that I care about, do something that I'm passionate about and do something that I want to do every day. And then I, I love working with clients. I love working on, on conversational AI projects. I love all of that kind of stuff, but I also love learning about it just as much. And so that was the main thing was to do something that, that you actually enjoy doing. The other thing was when we first started the podcast, we sort of knew what the long-term vision was and we knew how we wanted to kind of get there. We knew that there was a gap in the, in the market essentially for practical guidance and insights in how to do this stuff. And we also knew that there was a community of people kind of blossoming that would find this stuff valuable. And so what we tried to do is put the podcast right in the middle of the community. So we've got the people within the community onto the podcast and we were kind of like trying to really cement it within the voice community as a kind of reputable source of places where you can go to find out. The thing we were using at the beginning was why go everywhere to try and find everyone and learn everything when you can just go to VUX world and everyone's already there. That was kind of the philosophy. And so those, those are the two things that we tried to do. That's on the, on the kind of, there's some things, things I would mention on the practical side, including getting a good frigging mic and making sure you sound good because that's all you've got is your audio. But those are the two things that I think in, uh, that, that still work for us today is that do some, we did something that we're really passionate about and we love learning about and we did something that had its roots within the community of passionate people as well. I don't know what you think, Justin. Yeah, I think it's really important to develop your community, develop people who are going to listen to every episode. And it's also important to look beyond that community as well. If you're only ever recording a podcast for the same 10 people, maybe it's better just to have a Zoom call with those 10 people. It might be a little bit more enriching and rewarding. But if you expand beyond that, like Kane mentioned, we're talking about 
general NLU, we're talking about audio, we're talking about these things to draw more people in. And that's how you grow the audience. That's how you grow your community as well. And so I think it's important to develop your true fans, but it's also important to develop the people who come in for one episode or two episodes uh, here and there. Got it. Now, has your growth been all organic or what kind of marketing or promotion have you done of the podcast? Nothing beyond these hero images. (laughs) (laughs) So you can't see listeners, but there's uh, if you're familiar with this podcast, which by the way, this is a must listen. If you're not subscribed to these guys, <laughs> as soon as you're done listening to this, go subscribe to VUX World. It's a must listen podcast, but they do these great pictures uh, of their guests and the two of them often smiling and looking a little goofy for every podcast. And, uh, there's a poster behind Kane. It's got a bunch of them. So that's what he's talking about. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's been organic then. The it's growth. been organic. It's been totally organic. I mean, one, one of the things that, that we've done just naturally mm-hmm. as part of being a part of the community is we're reaching out to people all the time. We're having calls like this all the time. We're getting introduced to people all the time. We're, we're building relationships with people all the time. Naturally, one by one, people come across the podcast because of that. We invite people on there who we think are interesting. And so that gets onto their kind of radar. They share it with their network. It's almost it's organic in a sense of we've done no paid promotion to promote it. But there is a strategy there behind occasionally, you know, if we have to choose between, um, well, not that we do choose between guests because that very rarely happens, but we do sometimes think, okay, well, if we wanted to reach Microsoft's audience, who who might be useful to have a conversation with in the Microsoft AI team? So let's let's try and do that. And so there's a bit of a strategy around that, but it's not paid. It's still organic. It's still genuine. We genuinely want to learn. It just so happens that some people bring audiences with them that we can grow through. And, and also because it's a podcast, it's audio and you can't see audio. And so we had to do something that, that makes people remember what the podcast looks like, if that makes sense. And that's solidly and purely the reason for those headshots is like most podcasts and most content that most businesses produce are really straight, really down the middle, really kind of mature and, and like, you know, really business-like Ours, we don't even do our hair. We just kind of like the pictures are just us laughing our heads off and pointing. And and we make sure that the guests send us images of themselves laughing and we cut the heads out and we just make it fun because we want to have fun on the podcast. We do have fun on the podcast and we want the kind of visual representation of it to kind of be reflective of what it actually is. So those are the only things that we've done. I don't know if you can think of anything else, Dustin, that we've done specifically. No, specifically, no. You did mention, though, you said we don't choose between guests, which is true. However, it's also true as well. And this goes back a little bit to when you're thinking about creating a podcast, but I think it also ties into growing an audience as well. We have had guests that we've recorded a podcast and we didn't release that podcast. It's it's not incredibly common, but there have been situations where we've recorded it and we said, that's just, that's not a good hour. Or this person, we thought they really knew what they were talking about. They didn't really know what they were talking about. Because for us, we couldn't maintain that audience if we released things that weren't good. And I'm sure there have been things that we, if we were to go back to episode five, episode 10, we would go, that's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we go back 10 episodes, we would go, eh, that's a little <laughs> embarrassing. But we want to not waste people's time, right? If we waste our time, we've just wasted two hours or three hours, including the guest. If we release that and we have uh, 500,000 people listen, we've just wasted a thousand hours of time. And that's just not going to be good for us or good for the people. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, such spot on advice around uh, keep on growing your audience by keeping it interesting. 
I think I, I love Dustin. What did you say to paraphrase? If you're creating a podcast for the same 10 people, then just have a Zoom call. I love that. <laughs> kind of expand your thing and think about it. So you're selective to go, hey, something new is happening. Or we haven't ever talked to someone from company X or doing tech Y. Let's go bring them on, right? That's how you yeah. build your audience. And quite frankly, that's what makes it interesting too to people listening. Yeah. Oh, it, I never heard about, I never heard of this or I've heard about this, but I don't know much about it. Now I can listen to an interview with someone who created this amazing new tech or this company that I know about, but I didn't know much of what they did. So yeah, great, great exactly. stuff. Yeah, it's a case of trying to find, because there's a lot of technology providers out there. There's a lot of solutions that are popping up and, and we try and want to find the ones that are worthy of, not that they're all not worthy, but we, the interesting ones that really excite us. And then try and bring that to the audience, try and introduce them to new folks, new technologies, things like that. But not in a way that's like, if you sponsor an event and you get your logo on an event, people get kind of awareness about the name, but don't really understand what the company does. Whereas we bring people on, we don't just understand what the company does, but we get in the brain of the founders or the, the, some of the kind of senior leadership and really pick through how they're really thinking about this stuff, how they're really applying their knowledge to make you know, their technology better or to provide better use cases for customers, et cetera. And so it's rare that you get the opportunity to really spend some real detailed time with some of these kind of people to really figure out how they think about stuff and what they're up to. You know? Yeah, spot on. Hey guys, I'd love to switch gears a little bit. And you both talked about this uh, a little bit in your intro about what you do aside from being amazing podcasters. Kane, we'll start with you. Dive a little bit more into, you said you focus on voice strategy. What does that mean? Can you give me an example of something work you're done with a client? Explain to me more. Yeah, so essentially, as we mentioned, the, the power of this stuff is around the, the natural language understanding, right? That's the sort of where we see the real kind of magic is, is in that NLU. And companies, most companies, really haven't got a clue about what voice technology is, what it means, what conversational AI is, what it means. They've got a hunch that it's coming. They've got a hunch that they know they need to be doing something with it. They've got a hunch that their competition might have an Alexa skill or a Bixby capsule or whatever the case is. And so they're starting to know that it's something they need to actually investigate. The question that they have most of the time is, where, where do we start? What do we even do? Who should we be working with? What is a good use case? How does it work? All these kind of questions about getting started. And so the strategic consultancy is all around that. It's really business consultancy, which is who are your customers? What are their needs? Where do they currently access your products and your services? How are you treating them currently? Are you meeting their needs or not? What are your business needs? What are your business goals, aims and aspirations and pain points? And where can we find that alignment between the stuff that you're not doing too great for customers and the stuff you really want to be achieving as a business? And then within that section, see whether there are opportunities for conversational AI to help you out across all channels, regardless of your technology. And so we approach it really from a, firstly, from a customer perspective, secondly, from a business perspective, and thirdly, from a technology and a, and a kind of use case perspective. And so that's essentially what we are doing. And obviously beyond that, we, we do the design of the solutions, the development and implementation and things like that 
technology agnostic and I'll let, you know, Dustin can talk more about in terms of the technical side of things, but we can work with the company's tech staff that they currently have. We can advise on who they should be partnering with and, and this kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, things we've worked on in the past, we've done uh, work with some of the big agencies like Ogilvy and Havas working on product strategy and skills and actions and things like that. So we worked on the one of the ones for Unilever at the back end of last year, which was all around um, the International Day of the Girl, which was quite fun. So it was a conversation with an assistant about the assistant having low self-esteem. And so it was this very meta. Yeah, very meta indeed. Yeah. Trying to engineer that conversation and make the assistant cry at the end was pretty intense. And so we've worked with startups as well, one out of London with takeaway restaurant chains, building out the, the skill that enables restaurants to take uh, orders, end to end orders uh, through voice assistants. And other agencies as well. We've been doing some work recently with Vixen Labs. They have some really interesting stuff, consulting with a lot of their kind of clients. The, the drawbacks of working with uh, agencies sometimes is that we can't really speak into much detail about their clients because we can't really speak for their clients often but it's mainly as i've described consultations around business strategy and how that applies to conversational ai digital transformation strategy kind of stuff and, and how you can use ai to enable your organization to either serve customers better or fix some of the problems that you have as a business and then when required the design of the solution the build of the solution and i've done also vux training in the past as well we've got a training program that we do with kind of like large enough clients where we've trained their ux team on how to be a voice user interface designer or conversation designer so it's really a mixed kind of bag from consultancy to implementation to training as well. And uh, Dustin, you're the technologist side Dustin's, of the partner. Dustin's, Dustin's the brains. <laughs> no, 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 no. So you're the brawn? Kane's the brawn. I wouldn't Dustin's call it brawn. I wouldn't call it brawn. <laughs> <laughs> so Dustin, focused on the technology, and you're pretty esteemed in the field. Not that you're an author of a book. You're a Google developer expert. You're an Alexa champion. So tell me more about what you do as a technologist. Yeah, you know, I just enjoy building things. Kane and I have the opportunity to to build a lot of things together and, and I try to build things outside of that as well. As you mentioned, I did write a book for Manning Publications uh, called Voice Applications for Alexa and Google Assistant. Unfortunately, uh, Bixby wasn't established enough for us to include it at that point, but maybe in a future edition. It was, it was an interesting experience for sure. I think I've mentioned it in regards to how I hear people talk about taking the Trans-Siberian Railroad. I'm really glad I did it. I'll never do it again. So that's, that's essentially <laughs> writing a book for me is sort of like that. I'm really glad I did it. I'll never do it again. But it's certainly exploring what's new in the field. One of my goals this year is to go really deeper in the stack to really understand what is underneath everything, all the machine learning, how does it work? How can we implement it? We're never going to implement that for someone who wants NLU and there's already tooling out there that is going to do it better than we can build it from scratch. But it's so valuable to understand if you're building for Bixby, right? If you're building for any platform and you don't really understand how it works, then you're not going to be as successful as you could be. You know, that stuff is super fascinating, the kind of underlying how it works. And I've been exploring that myself. And boy, some of that stuff is uh, pretty deep in the technology around the true data science behind NLU, but it's really fascinating stuff. And I think you're spot on. You, to really understand what's going on, you got to understand the machine that's working, right? To understand a car, you got to understand uh, the motor and, and all the parts that work together. So understanding the motor and the parts of NLU is, is a great thing to do. 
Mm -hmm. the, the, the thing, yeah, the thing is, it's it's quite simple, right? It, right. Uh, once you get into it, it's really simple. I don't know if you, Roger, or anyone who's listening has checked out the Three Blue, One Brown video series. Have you checked that out, Roger? I haven't. Tell me okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a great, great channel. I think uh, this guy, Grant Sanderson, something like that. But his channel is three blue, one brown. And it's generally math, which for me is not my the kind of videos I just enjoy watching. But his explanation of machine learning and, and deep learning is incredibly valuable. And you come out of it and you go, oh, that's all there is. That's all there is to it. You realize that all deep learning is, all machine learning is, and, and obviously I'm oversimplifying this, is trying to make predictions and get the smallest wrong predictions, being as little off as possible. And you go, oh, okay, that's all it is, is making these predictions over and over and trying to understand the different weights that help me get closest. And you go, okay, now I'm starting to understand that you start to understand everything there. So I think a lot of people are going to go, yeah, this just isn't something I can understand. But as soon as you go, okay, that's all it is, then you go, okay, maybe I can start understanding this a little bit more. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I think it's perfecting pattern matching in a lot of ways is what happens. What's the yeah. best pattern I can match these? And what's the probability this is right or wrong there? Hey guys, there's a lot of people are interested in going into voice as a designer or a developer or that, I guess kind of an open-ended question, where, if I was interested in voice, where do you think there's some hot opportunities and what advice would you give for people who are just dipping their toes right now into voice? What do you think, Dustin? I think it's the same advice for anything. It's just to start doing it. It's just to, just to build something. What do you, what do you want to see? Right, what do you want to see? And if, if you can't think of something that you want to see, then find a tutorial that gives you a walkthrough, right? Use the platform that you have. If you have a Samsung phone, then build for the, the Bixby platform, right? If you have uh, a Android phone, build for the assistant. Just build something. Just get started. It's going to be terrible. It really is. Uh, and that's okay. The I, One of the quotes that I love is something like the first step to being good at something is sucking at something. I butcher that, but it's the general principle, right? You're going to be bad before you're good. And so just start building things. There, you can read a ton of things, but you can't really learn to do something just by reading or even by listening to Kane and I. You can get very far by listening to Kane and I, but until you get your hands in there, you're just not going to really know how to do it. Kane, what do you think? So I think, yeah, so advice for people getting into voice, I, I would, you know, Dustin, I, can't, I couldn't really advance on that any further to be honest getting started is the single most important thing it depends on what your skill set is you might be more kind of creative on the design side you might be a writer or sort of like linguist or whatever or you might be you know on the more technical end or or anything really regardless of what your background is there'll be something here for you to kind of you know, add your kind of skill sets to and so yeah getting started absolutely be part of the community. There's a really active community on LinkedIn. There's Slack channels. There's podcasts like this. Get your head into all the podcasts. Fact, your Twitter is a good place to start to meet people and things like that. In terms of where up and coming opportunities might be, I mentioned earlier that a lot of brands don't really know where to start. And so learning about the technology is one thing and absolutely needs to happen. And Dustin's talking there about going deeper in the stack. And one of the part of the value behind that is that when we find a client that, that needs a bespoke 
ASR or needs bespoke NLU, with, we're gonna, we've got the knowledge and, to be able to advise them properly on how we build it or where we acquire it from. And so once, as, as Dustin said, once you understand the technology, you understand the landscape, you can then be in a better position to advise. And given that brands are, a lot of them struggling to figure out where to start, what the technology is, what it means for their users, what it means for the business, there's huge opportunities for people who are on the strategy side, whether that's business strategy, transformation strategy, product strategy, whatever the case may be, innovation strategy, all those folks that have the methodology, they understand how to take something that's really vague, learn about it, do research, do some testing, crystallize that kind of picture. Those people have got really real value to bring. On the practical side, conversation designers at the moment are in fairly short supply. I've noticed, even on LinkedIn, I'm a LinkedIn advocate, basically. I love LinkedIn. That's pretty much the only thing I use to any kind of real degree. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, but really LinkedIn is where we spend most of our time. And I've noticed over the last two years that there's been not an explosion, but there is a hell of a lot more people with the term conversation designer as their job title. And the time is now to start learning those kind of skills because Charles Cabri is the founder of one of the agencies in London called Say It Now. And he's got this really good slide, which is just a triangle, right? And he said, he says that we're at the top of the pyramid in that there's not a huge amount of people doing this right now. There is some and it's growing, but it's not huge, right? And so talent is in fairly short supply, but what's going to happen if things keep going the way that they're going, if adoption keeps carrying on, if people keep talking to their phones and fridges or whatever, wherever big cities are going to end up being next, uh, if people keep on having these conversations and keep gaining confidence, then the requirement for more companies to invest in conversation AI greatens, and then the requirement to have more designers and more developers greatens as well. And so if we're at the top of the pyramid now, what can you do to get started now? Again, to echo Dustin's kind of point, you know, if there's going to be more of us soon, you know, starting now is is kind of important because it means that you're part of the kind of starting family. You know, we're, we're all collectively now on, on this call. We'll be, I know that conversationally has been on for a long time and you, Roger, have been working with it for a lot longer than we have potentially. And you look at like people like Adam Chire and Kathy Pearl and all of those kind of people who've been working on it since the 90s and before. But as far as the consumer understanding of what this stuff is and how it works and how it can be applied and where it can be used and the wider availability of it that hasn't that's only just started in the last kind of five years and so being part of this kind of circle now is i think is really it's a privilege and i think that anything that you can do to get started now whether it's conversation design whether it's development whether it's strategy whether it's audio production sound design dialogue design writing there's a whole ba- whole bunch of testing research a whole bunch of t- uh, skills that you need to do this stuff and uh, yeah there's definitely space for everyone i think that's super spot on advice. I also hear about conversational design, the shortage of conversational designers. Because really, the other thing is not only there's a shortage of people, it's emerging. I mean, there's a f- small number of people who are really experts in it. And there's so much opportunity to learn and refine and figure it out. That most nascent, much more nascent, I'd say, than actually the tech behind voice is now actually designing an amazing experience on top of this technology. So I think that's spot on. And yeah, Dustin, yeah, you're absolutely right. Go build something, right? I, I was laughing as, I, as you were talking because I remember I just ran across the code for my first skill. It was a fact skill for Alexa that tells kids jokes. And only are the jokes really bad, but the code is really <laughs> poorly done. And I think it's still live. I, got a, I haven't touched it in three years. So <laughs> probably still out there with zero reviews or something, but uh, hey, go jump in, right? And, get, and go do that. That's a salient advice of anything, right? Go try it, see what you're good at, and then build upon your strengths. 
Hey guys, I want to talk a little bit about Bixby. This is a Bixby podcast. So the Bixby marketplace is available for phones for quite a while. Just released for watches. You can do some early things with smart uh, appliances, refrigerators, and it's coming to TVs. So all these new uh, devices, what do these new devices get you really excited about uh, a voice presence on? I think what gets me excited is the ambience of it. So I, I have a Samsung phone. I've had Samsung phones for the past four or five years. I, I quite enjoy them. I'll probably continue purchasing them. And so that's nice to have it on the phone, of course, but I would kill to get my hands on one of the new Samsung watches. I'd love to get my hands on that and to have an assistant there as well and to have it in the TV, to have it in the devices, to have it everywhere would be great. My wife and I had just moved into a new apartment, which is two and a half times larger than, than our previous one. So boys and girls, podcasting does work out. <laughs> but, but it's we a moved bright into... and fruitful financial future. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but seriously, we, we moved into a much larger apartment and, and we needed more devices because we have space in the apartment that we can't speak to, to machines. And the idea of, okay, well, we don't need to put one in the, in the kitchen because our refrigerator already has it, right? Or, you know, it's, it's where it follows us. It follows us. I had, everyone has a rich uncle. I had a rich uncle and I remember I was 10 years old. So this was 94, 95. He had lights that turned on when you like passed by them. And I was like, oh, this house, it's, it's so amazing. Uh, and my wife is, says, everyone has that like formative moment that influences everyone's life. And I think that was mine. The idea that everywhere in my house is smart and understands where I am, I can speak to it, I can interact with it. That, that really gets me excited. And then when I leave, I can speak to my watch. I can speak to the Galaxy Buds Alive. I can speak to that. I am just an utterance away from information. And that's great because I enjoy my phone when I use it, but I really actually hate using my phone. I hate having to have my head buried into it. And so the idea that I can speak to my watch instead, I can just speak to the earbuds instead, that's really exciting to me. Kane, what do you think? Yeah, I think the thing that that also opens up, and this is what gets me excited about all of voice, but I think that Samsung uh, is in a particularly strong position to take advantage of it, is the wider availability increases the types of things that you're likely to want to do with it. And so <clears throat> this the first step to adoption inevitably is availability, isn't it? You need to make stuff available. If, once it's available, you need to get people to access it easily enough. And then it, you're in the realms of habit, trying to create habitual usage. And so getting availability is step number one. We need to make this thing available. But then when you make it available, what then happens is you have new use cases that come about because of the contextual environments people are in when they access their assistant. But you also have, and this is what gets me excited, and this is the kind of stuff we tend to geek out on the VOXO podcast about, is the types of nuances, the design nuances that each different device type and each different environmental context can bring about. And the example I give all the time is that, and I'll get around to why Samsung we're in a good position for this in the, at the end, is when I'm out and about, so I've got an iPhone, shamefully I've got an iPhone. I've been trying to break out of the, I, the Apple 
ecosystem for a long time because it hinders me more than it helps me sometimes but anyway i've got an iphone i've got airpods and when i'm out and about with, with wearing airpods i use siri <clears throat> even though the one thing it needs is an audible cue to tell me when it's listening because the amount of times i've been walking about talking to myself and the thing's not even triggered properly is unbelievable <laughs> but the fact is that when i'm out and about and i'm interacting with it i, I don't i only want something short and swift I don't want you to bore me. I don't want the whole news. I just want the article headline and the summary. I don't want you to tell me all about the football match. I just want you to tell me what the score was. And that's it. That's all I care about. Whereas if I'm at home and I'm watching the telly, maybe I do want to hear a bit more news. Maybe you can show me some clips. Maybe you can go deeper. If I ask you about the football score, show me some highlights. Give me some more richer content. And so that's what gets me excited is that every every new device that we put a voice assistant into and the Bixby shows up on, there is potential there for totally new use cases and contextual based use cases, which then change how we design conversational experiences. We don't just design the dialogue. We design different types of dialogue for different types of environments and different types of devices. Plus some of them have screens some of them have screens that you can't touch some of them have screens that you can touch and it, it's just a whole world of possibilities and that's what gets me excited and the reason why i think samsung in a good position for this is because they already have you already have the device footprint you've already got tvs in 20 percent of the world's homes you know 40 percent or whatever it is now uh, you've already got phones in you know 50 percent of people's pockets you've already got microwaves and, and dishwashers and, and, and all that kind of stuff already there and so that's the kind of thing that i think samsung can really benefit from is to get this right and put it into those environments is you've got availability and potential access built in and then it becomes about people creating compelling enough experiences for that to then turn habitual and then you're on the road to being you know a real kind of value add assistant i love that uh, contextually aware right? Responses depending on the device. Because I think the industry has been built on a smart speaker. Logically, that's where it came. That's where it got popularized. And if you can go down and for 30 bucks, I can get an Echo Dot. That's pretty darn cheap entry point. But you're at spot on around what I want. My watch is probably quick and simple. But maybe at home on the TV, I want something longer. And then you get into this kind of contextually, what device am I talking to? Where am I? what time of the day is the smart, the assistant being smart and giving you just the amount of information you want. Not too much, not too little. To me, that's an uncharted territory. We really haven't figured that out, but it's pretty darn exciting. And I think you're right about the other devices. I still think still the early tech adopters who have voice assistants or smart, let's say they have smart speakers. I think a lot more people have phones. The number of people use their uh, voices in their phone is shockingly small sometimes compared to the number of phones that are sold. But as you start putting in additional devices, somebody goes and buys a, okay, a Samsung TV and they would have never bought a, a smart speaker, but they're like, Oh, I can talk to this. Oh, that's cool. So they get that introduction through buying a device that they didn't buy because it was a voice device. It was a feature of that device. And then they get brought into this voice ecosystem and become new users with, frankly, new needs or new thinking about what a really good voice experience is. So to me, a lot of the growth in the, the industry is going to be coming from voice being just all around us, as you said, Dustin, ambient, and then being contextually aware. And then you'll get more and more people using it. It becomes more of a ubiquitous kind of thing absolutely do you do you think dustin have you got any other thoughts on what roger said there about the industry as we know it being fueled by smart speakers in terms of the enthusiasm i don't know i, I don't know one of the things that i keep thinking about is 
I want you to all start making money. I really want you to start making money. And to start making money, you need to start thinking boring, right? You need to start thinking boring. And smart speakers aren't making you money today. It's making Amazon money. It's making Google money. It's making Samsung, I'm sure. Uh, I hope for your sake, Roger, I hope it's making you a lot of money as well. But it's, it's not making the third-party developers money. Where I want to see people go and, and continue building for the consumer, of course. But I want to see this in the factory. I want to see this on the farm. I want to see this out there. I want these boring applications that are raking in millions a year and you never hear about these developers. That's what I would love to see. Mm. You touched on it, Roger, there by saying that, you know, someone buys a Samsung TV, isn't aware that they can use their voice with it. All of a sudden they can, now they use it. And so it's kind of tied. It's not necessarily a boring use case, but it's similar in terms of putting it where it's needed. That's why we're so kind of interested in exploring, speaking to, and we've been speaking to clients on, on the IVR space. Sure. You know, it's one of the places where sure. customers are phoning up because they've got a problem. They're talking to you because that's the medium. And when they get there, if you have an automated agent, even if you just route the calls, what is it? Schwab, is it Schwab? Charles Schwab? They don't need a they don't need a, a switchboard anymore. It's all handled by AI. All the call routing is done by AI. And so when you put it where people already are, you've got the potential to then one provide value and two educate people about what it's like to have an automated conversation with one of these agents, which then increases their confidence to do other things. Because like it or not, the boring stuff is actually the stuff that is transactional. It's the stuff that adds utility. It's the stuff that helps people get stuff done. And if helping people get stuff done easier and quicker isn't the promise of ambient voice computing, then I don't know what is. Kane, it's funny you mentioned that. I sent some gifts to a friend over in the US. I ordered it on amazon.com and it just never arrived. And so I went to contact Amazon and I have experience with their live chat. But this time it wasn't with a person, it was with a bot. And I thought, oh no, here it is. This just isn't (laughs) going to work out. 20 seconds, 30 seconds. I got my answer. I got another package sent out and it was perfect. I didn't have to speak with anyone and that was fine because I got what I needed to do. And Mm -hmm. and that was fantastic to to know that there's that technology that can get me to another package sent out in 30 seconds. Oh, that's fantastic. And that's, that's a benefit to you, but just imagine what that's doing for Amazon as well. You think about companies that are dealing with millions of calls every month. You just take out 5% of that and you've got what you call a decent ROI. So just take the basic things, the really simple tier one support stuff, get it on your website as well. Stop the phone call from happening in the first place. The the power of conversational AI and voice in particular on websites is is huge. And so I I do think that what you're getting out there, Roger, in terms of getting it into places where people either might not expect it or getting it into places where there's default behavior built into the medium already is definitely worth doing. And at the same time, there are people who use their voice anyway like my dad i use this example all the time my dad uses his voice he uses google assistant he's got an android uh phone he uses google assistant and he doesn't even realize he's using google assistant he just thinks he talks to his phone <laughs> and so as, as much as we're kind of interested in it as much as we get our heads wrapped around it and get really passionate and excited about it ultimately what really matters is the end user getting what they need from it and some of the mm-hmm. people are using it using Bixby, haven't got a clue what it is, but they're just using it because they just talk to their phone. And it's how do you add value to those users? I think that all the other stuff around the contextual stuff, the environmental stuff, all that stuff will come. But yeah, I think Dustin's right. Get boring and get practical and start actually, you know, delivering some value. I think that's so spot on around. That's where the money is. When you guys are talking about IVR, I was kind of thinking IVR makes me think of 
desperately mashing the telephone button, zero, 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 give me a real person, because it didn't work. But if it works, like Dustin, your example, right, where you talk to a bot, right, or a community type to a bot, and it works, that's great. It's super efficient. So IVR that works is a huge, huge opportunity. And you're spot on, right? I have a retail tech background and a phone call to a retailer is $10, $12 was the formula we used to use. And that's a lot of money. Mm. So if you can have a bot answer that or some conversational NLU product, wherever it manifests itself, answer that's a huge dollars and cents behind that. It's Dustin, I think you're spot on. Is a, a, a sitting here near Silicon Valley and there's a little bit of a saying sometimes it goes around that around uh, B2C is where it's sexy and B2B is where the money is. Okay. <laughs> it's so fun and sexy to build something B2C. But the real money is often made in the B2B space. And I think voice, I got huge opportunities there for conversational AI to unlock that. Or the marriage of the two might be IVR, right? Mm-hmm. Where you got the, the B2B business advantage and then the customer advantage. I just want my problem solved. Quickest, mm-hmm. fastest, easiest way possible. And if that's talking to an IVR system more than a person, great. Because nobody wants to be on those phone calls for a long time. <laughs> no. So, no. Uh, or, or the <laughs> dreaded wait, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, guys. Time. And we're jumping and talking about this a little bit right now. But uh, just a general question about voice in general in the short term, next year or so. What are you seeing that's emerging that you're excited about? Or what would you really like to see if it hasn't emerged in the next year or so around voice? Yeah, what do you think, Ken? Some of the stuff I'm excited about is things around authentication. So some of those are in use cases, as Justin's talking about, if you just want to buy something, then, you know, you can buy something right now you know, on, on these voice assistants. It's, it's fine. But as we start getting using them more, more of the family are using them more, uh, and you want to start doing more kind of advanced transaction-based stuff or accessing accounts and things like that, then being able to identify someone based on the sound of their voice and then give them only access to the stuff that they need from their voice. I think that's an area where if we can get that right, then we open up the ability to add some more of those use cases that really do add value. Like a, a situation where you might have a capsule, but on, everyone can access some retailers capsule to add stuff to a shopping list, but only the person who is named on the account, whose voice is authenticated can actually make the transaction. I think that's an interesting area. The other interesting area is the whole kind of, fusing voice with other tech other existing technologies and making it part of the ecosystem so one of the things has always been hard to get people into a voice experience if you build it on one of the platforms and so thinking of ways like the quick links that was brought out recently where you can just click a link and fire up a skill thinking of ways to kind of decrease the steps needed to get into an experience for people to help them discover what these things can do because we're still in that phase that we've been in for two years three years four years which is that discoverability is still a challenge Mm -hmm. on these emerging platforms uh, and it hasn't quite been totally fixed yet. But then also, I'm I'm just interested and excited to see voice get put, as we, we've touched on it before, I'm excited to see it get put in places where it's needed and put in places where users already are, on websites, in apps. I don't know if you've seen the Spotify voice uh, interface in their app. 
fantastic. It's simple. It doesn't do anything sexy, but it saves you 17 taps on a screen if you use it. And so this is the kind of stuff that, that I'm hoping to see in uh, over the next sort of 12 months is getting down to business, start proving the value of this technology and start proving what it can add to the user, what it can add to the business and how it can actually be part of how we interact with technology rather than this new shiny thing over here that we need to go out of our way to, to do something with. That makes sense. That's great. How about you, Dustin? In terms of what I want to see today, if you want to implement speech to text in the browser, you're unable to do it in Safari, which means you're unable to do it in iOS at all. You're unable to do it in Firefox and Mozilla just announced layoffs, including their deep speech team. It's only Chrome, right? It's only Chrome today where you can do native speech to text in the browser. What I am just dying to see over the next year, because it's the same thing I was dying to see in 2020, the same thing I was dying to see in 2019, is native speech-to-text in every browser. You can add speech-to-text in browsers right now, but it's it's difficult. It's it's not really easy on Safari, especially. It's not the best user experience, and that's holding back some voice experiences. Kane mentioned Spotify app. You can do it in the native apps. That's great, but I don't know about you. I feel like I'm moving a lot of my stuff to the mobile web. I'm downloading less apps than I used to. And I think I've seen some stats that maybe bear that out across globally as well. I would love to have more voice in the browser. I think this is a great opportunity, a lost opportunity. And I, I don't know exactly why it's not happening. Maybe it's privacy on the Safari side. It seems to be resources on the Mozilla side. I don't know why it's not happening, but I really want to see it over the next year. Yeah, I was really bummed about the Mozilla. They released their voice product in, in the browser and then a week later laid off the team who built it, which was just really a shame for the industry because they're so important to be around for the industry. It's interesting because uh, there's and Salesforce, I know they've still got the Einstein bot builder and they've, they've moved to the, that kind of voice cloud, which is part of the partnership with Amazon Connect they've done. But then they've got rid of the Einstein voice side of things as well so it's funny how there's little tiny signs kicking around that some companies are maybe don't know i don't know if cutting back is the word because as i said they've got an amazon connect partnership now and salesforce and they've got the voice cloud so they're still using the technology but the one that was being made a big song and dance about has been stripped back slightly yeah it's interesting is there a pragmatic reality falling into the to the industry around okay it was the shiny new penny and he went and chased it and you're like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. we chased it maybe too aggressively or in the wrong way. And there's a little bit of the back of, and you were so spot on Kane around saying, Hey, I want it meaningful. I want it to do something for me. That's useful above and beyond. Yes. We all listen to it for music, whether that I think it's interesting, even, even people inside the voice industry, if you talk to them, they'll sit there. Yeah. I use it for music and weather and that, and it's pretty the mundane things, but the value add, capabilities are where there's a real unlock. I'm super bullish like you guys are around voice enabling the web and apps. Cause I, I just, every time I think I use something and it's like, oh man, I got, it's nested under 12 menus. I don't know how to do this. I, I was using Excel. I would love an Excel yeah. enabled cause I can never remember half the stuff, how to do an Excel. I do the basic stuff well. Ask me, like, as soon as, like, create a pivot table, I'm like, oh, I know I've done that, but I forgot. If I could just say create a pivot table, say it to it, and have it do it, and ask me the questions, that would be awesome. You yeah. want Clippy again. That's what you want. You want Clippy to come back. I, 
<laughs> complete with the dancing on the screen. Exactly. <laughs> hey, no, I mean, Clippy was a cool idea ahead of its time and maybe a little bit goofy executed, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, we've had that exact conversation, Dustin, haven't we, Excel, specifically about Excel as well, about how better it would be with a voice interface on it. The same as Photoshop and all these platforms oh, where they've yeah. got so many features buried away under menus with mad names that you would never think about fa- trying to find to, to do this kind of thing. Yeah, there's this huge scope. I was talking to someone today. I was doing a webinar in India and I've got this kind of camera I've been using. Obviously, I use it for videos, but I've also started using it for the webcam. And it's just got so many settings that all I ever do is I just use the normal kind of automatic setting. And I'd like to be able to just say to it, hey, turn up the, the white balance or, or the exposure or do something with a scene, like a night scene for this room kind of thing. I'd just like to be able to say it rather than bury myself in menus and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we all run to Google and go, oh, I need to do this. So I go search in the web to go find that I click 18 different buttons to go and make this setting where I could just explain it in a sentence. So yeah. huge opportunity for voice to go there. And not, that's not a sexy thing. That's a useful thing. Mm. Just make it easier and better. So how about rubbing your crystal ball and looking out, say, five or 10 years? What do you guys see uh, happening with voice in five or 10 years? Why don't we start with you, Dustin? I'm bad at predictions. I'm so bad at predictions. I'm hoping to see a little bit more maturity in the industry, for one. Like the industry can be a little bit parochial at the moment. So I'm interested. I mean, this goes back to what we were talking about before, where we want to see the boring things that are making a lot of money. So I think that's one. One prediction I will make, though, is I think uh, NLG is going to be a lot more important natural language generation. I think that we might have fewer conversation designers in the future. I know that's a, it's a bit of a controversial... Controversial statement of the day. <laughs> awesome, I love it. <laughs> I, I think some of, the, some of the natural language generation that we're already seeing is not ready to go out there and be on its own, but it's getting so close. It's getting so close. I've had the, the good fortune to be able to interact with a new GPT-3 model from OpenAI for a while, and it's amazing the kind of things that it can do. It's amazing the kind of things that it can do. And other models are not going to be far behind. And so I think we're going to see, and certainly OpenAI will be one of the first to tell, you'll see them on Twitter talking about this, that it is not ready. It is not ready. But five, 10 years, yeah, maybe it will be ready. Maybe it will be ready. Someone else will be ready. So I think that's going to be my one prediction is maybe not everything is going to be offloaded to NLG but there's going to be a whole lot more. Yeah, it's interesting. I think of, uh, and I haven't gotten access yet, but GPT-3 seems like the kind of playground for the future. Mm. You can experiment with things. They don't quite fully work, but there's some cool, you, you get a glimpse of where things are going playing with that tool. How about yourself, Kane? Five or 10 years, crystal ball. Five or 10 years, crystal ball. I think there's a couple of things I would like to see. On the other side to the NLG, on the kind of speech recognition side, on the input, I'd like to see it get a lot better when it comes to accents and things like that. That's one of the things that it has to get better with accents because there's a huge amount of people who are... Ironically, for one of the arguably most accessible technologies on the planet, a lot of people are already still currently excluded. It doesn't perform quite as well with certain accents and certain genders and certain races, even hoping that that gets better. And I'm confident it'll get better incrementally over time. I think that I think it's 
Bill Gates quote that said something like, we tend to overestimate the impact of technology in the short term, but underestimate its impact in the long term. And I think that's where we are, really. We're overestimating what this stuff can do today. Can't really, I was talking, we do a, a daily vlog on LinkedIn, and one of the things today was all around subtext. So if, you, if a doctor says to you, we can do something, you've got something, and we can curate, we can operate on you, or we can give you medication, which one do you want? Right now, the systems are listening for operation or medication but i can answer in in human terms i'll answer that question with i'll tell you what come on let's just get it over and done with so i'm answering the question i'm just not giving you an explicit answer and for those kind of subtexts and so that is really difficult for for this technology to get to and so there's a whole there's a whole lot of opportunity for this stuff to get better on on the recognition uh side of things understanding things like subtext and and you know sentiment and and voice authentication and all of those kind of things and then also to be honest i mean you look at some of the tooling that's out there now dustin you're talking about nlg but even you make conversation design the job essentially being being in jeopardy it's true because we once if what these systems are doing is recognizing patterns then you speak to any linguist or any conversation analyst and they'll tell you that conversations are full of patterns there's a book i don't know if you've seen it uh, conversational UX design by Bob Moore and Raphael Arar. Awesome uh, book. 100%. We had Bob on the podcast and it was absolutely phenomenal. And essentially, this book is essentially all about that. It's conversational patterns. And that's what we do now is when we work with clients is figure out what those patterns are. As soon as the system can recognize what those patterns are, pick up on your first initial utterance and build a pattern for you based on that, the whole kind of world looks totally different. And so I think, I don't know whether that'll be five years. I think that might be a bit longer than that, but yeah, I can see these systems being able to manage more of the dialogue, understand more and, and more precisely on the input, manage the dialogue a bit more effectively in the middle and then producing on the NLG side out the other end. And whether that'll be, I think that sounds a little, like it might be a little bit longer than that, but that seems to be the direction it's headed is, is more of the process being automated. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just talking to Nick Schwab, you know, of, of Voice mm, yeah. Spain, in Sleep Sound Spain about exactly the same thing. And he was talking about developing and how crude it is that you have to put all these sample utterances. Why doesn't the AI suggest a bunch of utterances for you, right? Because the data is there. And I think you're getting on that around just being smart. It's pretty crude and simplistic right now how you build a voice application. And as it gets smarter and AI gets smarter, then it unlocks all this creativity, right? Around people don't have to worry about the nuts and bolts, right? When you get the nuts and bolts taken care of, then you can build the really cool stuff because you can spend your time there. But if you got to build a bunch of the, worry about the nuts and bolts, which is frankly where the industry is right now, it's harder. It's a greater effort to build innovative new experiences, I think. So uh, awesome, guys. We'll have to reconnect in five or 10 years and see what the heck uh, is going on. It'll probably be half right, half wrong. I figure I'm 90% wrong and I'm doing good if I'm 90% wrong. Those are good odds. I'd take those odds all day long. I think it's it's a nice bit of fun focusing on the future and thinking about where things are going and stuff like that. But I don't think that anyone can ever plan any further than three years absolute max. And as far as the people listening to this podcast that want to build stuff and businesses that want to implement a strategy, you can't think any further than three years. And really, you do better you do better off trying to think about what you want to do in the next six months, to be perfectly honest, and take it one step at a time. Spot on. Hey guys, one of my favorite wrap-up questions is, what are some of your favorite voice experiences and why? Hey, want to kick us off, Ken? Yeah, good question. I'm trying to think of any of the ones that I've been testing out recently. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you the thing that I use more than anything else is 
prime on the Echo Show in the kitchen. That gets used at breakfast time because my son doesn't eat anything unless Thomas the Tank Engine's on. Uh, it's almost become his personal TV now in the kitchen. It gets used at dinner time because he wouldn't eat anything unless Thomas the Tank Engine's on. It gets used on the tea times. I'm quite au fait with, with getting videos played on Prime. It is hit and miss, though, to be honest. It's a little bit difficult sometimes, especially when you're asking for crazy, crazily named children's programs. I'll tell you one thing that I thought was good, uh, and this isn't on the boring business end, but it is more on the experiential end. The Match of the Day magazine quiz. I don't know if you've come across that one or not. If you've got a display device, check it out because it it's pretty fun. Nice animations and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. And yeah, that, that's, I'm excited to see what the Zoom integration looks like. That's definitely something that I can see myself using time and time again. Most of the skills and actions and capsules, et cetera, that, that I use, it, it mostly at the moment, honestly, is for testing purposes, seeing what's out there, testing what's going on. I haven't turned many of them into habitual usage apart from the CBB skill and the BBC skill, which I, I've used both of those pretty, pretty habitually. They're both pretty good. But yeah, yeah, Prime has been used more than anything right now. What about you, yeah. Dustin? There you go, Dustin. One is, did you know that PowerPoints can do live captions? PowerPoint can actually caption you as you present, which is pretty interesting. It's very nice, but PowerPoint can do live subtitles as well. So PowerPoint can take your English or your Spanish or whatever. It can translate on the fly what you're saying into another language. So if you are going to Japan to give a talk. I don't know if it works for Japanese, but if you're going to Italy to give a talk and you don't speak Italian, you can give the talk in English and you can get Italian subtitles on the fly. I, I was just absolutely blown away by that. Wow. So that's, that was something that really impressed me. Another one is actually a few years old. There's this school inside of New York University, inside of NYU called ITP. And actually one of, uh, we had a guest co-host, Claire, who joined us and for the rundown and she attended that school. And they're all about the near future of technology. And one, they always have this show and tell, I, th I think at the end of every year. And one person built something where it was a VR headset and there's a microphone and you had to say something about yourself. You had to say something and it determined if it was a truth or a lie. Wow. And if it was a lie, if it determined it was a lie, your nose grew in front of you. <laughs> and so I always say that I want a voice experience that make me cry. And that didn't make me cry, but that kind of experience, that kind of experience that uh, really makes you feel something, whether it's sadness or it's delight in that case. I want to see more of that and I'm not seeing it today. And that kind of thing, I really want to see more of it. Mm. You guys, there guys have piqued my curiosity for a couple of things I got to definitely check out. That's why I love that question. And it's always interesting to see what, what people like. Hey, if people want to keep in touch with each of you individually or VUX world, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, so you can go to the VUX World website, VUX.world, or you can check us out. We're on most of the channels at VUX World on Twitter, LinkedIn. Those are probably the best places. Individually, I'm on LinkedIn at Kane Sims. Just reach out on LinkedIn. I'm on there more or less every day. You know, I do a daily vlog on there, which is a little video of either me walking the dog or making a cup of tea, talking about conversational AI insights and musings and fostering the discussion within the community, which is always nice as well. Yeah. Those are fabulous, by the way. I love this. Yeah. The, the, the daily walk. Good, yeah. good addition. How about yourself, Dustin? Yeah, you can always reach out on LinkedIn, but I also say 
if you want to send me an email, Dustin at VUX.world. I will reply to you. I reply to every personal email that comes my way. So if you have any questions, any thoughts, uh, any abuse you want to hurl my way, uh, go ahead and send it to that email. Awesome. Hey, we'll add oh, one, one, final, one final thought is that we do have a free voice strategy assessment at the moment on VUX World. And so if you just go to VUX.world slash voice, it's five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe tops. You just fill in some details about yourself, about your company, what you've been working on, what your challenges are, what your skill sets are, what teams structure you have. And essentially it comes to us. We do an audit, we do research all for free. Uh, we put it together in a report that essentially gives you informed next steps and guidance about how you can be improving your voice and conversational AI strategy entirely free no strings attached vux.world slash voice if you are interested in a free voice strategy assessment great and i'm going to plug your podcast again because i love it if you're not subscribed to vx world and you're interested in voice you got to subscribe today because <laughs> it's really an awesome podcast with really an amazing set of guests so uh, we'll make sure to get all of that information uh in the show notes hey guys been a super pleasure. You guys are, I like to call it the dynamic duo of voice. <laughs> Such deep insight and so interesting to listen to and talk to. I love your podcast. I love talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. Absolutely yeah, thanks pleasure. so much, Roger. Nice one. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, that's all, folks. Till next time, this is Roger Kibbe from the Bixby Developer Podcast signing off. Mm-hmm.